Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 115 is recorded live May 10th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and here's some of the articles we're going to be talking about this week. We have uh, some uh, corner-issued dive recommendations, tourism boosts, local dive business, and we have some wrecks worthy of diving. And I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have our dive mentor, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm very good in rare form, as you said earlier. Excellent. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? If I were under better, I'd feel guilty. <laughs> Well, that's great, too. So we have a lively chat room. Uh, go ahead, and as we're going through the program, we're going to paste the notes in there so they can follow along. Uh, they usually keep us on our toes and or distracted. Squirrel. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So first article we have up, and I've guys, I've, I sent you the show notes, but we're gonna, we might mix them up a little bit. The first one is a follow-up. Uh, if you remember that uh, business in, in Milwaukee, Post Probably. it to the chat room, please. What's in the chat room? Post it, post it to the chat room, please. The chat room. The nice. chat room wants to see the show notes. There you go. There you Thank go. You, can, they, can they see I, it? I try to keep the chat room happy. Yeah. So uh, this, this is from one of the uh, businesses up in Milwaukee. We covered them a few episodes ago, and this is a follow-up story. What, they, what their uh, business is going to be focusing on is the sale and rental of kayak and scuba gear, uh, dive point scuba and adventure Center in Stevens Point. Uh, they've been operating for 27 years. The owner, Carrie Butt, said heightened interest in kayaking and tourism are big factors that allowed her and her husband to open a new store in Wausau on Saturday. So while they were talking about getting ready to open it, they, they now have uh, outdoor recreation business, they're saying, is not the only experience uh, that benefits tourism, uh, which reported this week that the visitors to, pay, to Portage County spent almost $100 million in 2011. That's a 6% increase from $92 million spent in 2010. Uh, they said that the spike in tourism is part of a larger growth pattern. They say local ch- changes elevated art scene tours by three local breweries. You know, alcohol always is a good incentive. Uh, and ample outdoor activities are what they're saying contributing to the growth. Uh, they said there's still obstacles for the tourism to grow. Uh, their uh, large hotel capacity is down by 23% this year with a loss of Ramada Inn and the temporary closure of a Super 8. So they're trying to offset that. So we wish them luck. So they went from just the planning stages to they actually opened. And then this other one is a follow-up. I don't know if you remember this one, Mac. This is uh, from uh, the Saipan Tribune. The man, oh gosh, Managaha is no longer off-limits to other water sports businesses. The Departments of Public Lands repealed on Monday its December 13, 2011 rule, which paves the way for marine sports operators other than the official tour operator, Taysai Tours, and its partners to pick up individuals from uh, the gosh, Managaha 
for parasailing, banana boating, snorkeling, and scuba diving. If you remember back before, uh, they said that if they weren't the official tour operators, they weren't wouldn't be allowed to uh, offer those services. Uh, what they said is, uh, uh, this is according to Cora Pangelian, a co-owner of Island Marine Sports, said that even before the uh, the rules went in in December, they and other tour operators had not had not been soliciting services on the uh, location. They said we lost a lot of revenue because of the rule. I'm glad they repealed it. Uh, they said they also thanked the attorneys for helping them reverse it. In its May seventh uh, memo, they announced the repeal of the first promulgated in its December 13th letter to various marine sports operators regarding their operations. The answer depends on the manner in which marine sports operator service were required. So, yeah, it didn't sound like uh, making something exclusive was really going to be a benefit. You know, one operator can't represent a whole area. Well, sounds like they did something right for change, the lawyers. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing how, how worked up people get when uh, the money stops flowing. So probably it could even got to the point to the people who were who uh, thought they were going to benefit from it didn't. That that's probably more to the case. Uh, and this this next one I had to throw in there just because I thought that was an interesting photo. Uh, they're talking about a photo gallery, but you just have, have to go look at the photo. And this particular artist, uh, the one that's shown in here, they have a female scuba diver. It looks like an old vintage reg. And uh, she's underwater uh, playing slots. And that does look like a double hose vintage, even the backpack. But what got my curiosity, look to the right-hand side of the chair. Yeah. I'm. Is that like a pedal? A diver propulsion vehicle on pedals? It could be. I'd like to see the rest of that. <laughs> Doesn't that look like that, though? Yeah. It said uh, it's one of the many photos exhibiting and a celebration, the 65th anniversary of the Las Vegas News Bureau. They call it the Gold Golden Age of Glam, which is opening June 6th at the Cosmopolitan. So maybe this, actually, I thought this was a, a modern artist. This could actually be a uh, uh, some old photos they had. Possibly. You know, possibly. Yeah, look at the bathing suit she's wearing. Uh, is she? Yeah, it's two-piece, mm-hmm. so I don't think that's real, real old. Yeah, you have to copy it, blow it up, and you can see real good. I mean, better. So let's see if we <laughs> zoom that up to 400%. I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm not an expert at this because I hadn't already tried that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's black and white. It's hard to tell. I was looking at the DPV thing on the right-hand side because it looks like pedals that go to a prop, but I don't see how you sit down and don't hurt yourself. Yeah, or maybe are they hand pedals, maybe? I mean, would that be a benefit? Well, that prop would be in front of my nose in that case. I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see the rest of that. It's, hmm. Well, ne- next on that we're going through, and we normally don't like to talk about uh, the negative, but we've got the coroners issuing some diving recommendations. The death of a veteran scuba diver who drowned in Northland has prompted the coroner to issue dive safety recommendations, which he suggests had been overlooked in the drive, the, the drowning. The findings of coroner H. Brant Shortland had ruled that Gary Keith Weed, 65, drowned while participating in recreational scuba diving on March 8, 2009, uh, off um, Motorola, Motor, Motora, and Carkey Peninsula. The postmortem found he died from drowning with evidence of uh, Boratomatis, 
a physical damage caused by water pressure. It's more likely that Mr. Weeds got into difficulty whilst entering the water, under the water where he failed to equalize, causing trauma to his middle ear. It has either rendered him unconscious or caused him the panic where he, which, where he has inhaled water and subsequently drowned. Dive equipment was in poor condition but did not contribute to the death. Despite his 45 years of diving experience, this is a much a most unfortunate accident. Weeds is considered an experienced diver and completed over 2,000 dives. He kept physically fit, including running at least twice a week. He'd been intending to take part in a scuba diving competition, and a group of friends had decided to have a recreational dive ahead of it. Weeds and his friend, uh, Garam Hepthi, were dropped off in arraignment and were picked up, or an arrangement, I said arraignment, was made to pick them up an hour later. Although diving protocol suggests each diver should check their buddy's dive gear, the coroner said the men only checked their own. Prior to the actual dive, neither of the men checked each other's equipment. Hepthi swam away from Weeds. When he looked back, Weeds was no longer visible. Hepthi thought Weeds had dived. He saw a piece of wood floating on the surface that Weeds carried off for getting uh, crayfish. He dove down to look for Weeds. When he did not find him, he went back to the boat to organize a search. Weeds was found in the water lying on his back, his regulator not in his mouth. He was dead. The coroner issued recommendations for all the industry and recreational divers. Recommendations came from describing the shortcomings from this recreational dive. It has also involved experience, may overlook basic requirements of safe diving practice. Uh, he also said divers should not be afraid to abort the dive if feeling unwell. Conversely, the dive buddy thinks their partner's unwell. They should not be afraid to abort the dive. So, I mean, that. It, it makes you wonder. Now, you'd like to know how deep they were with a good visibility, and I'd be curious about the equipment. Like, did they have a BC on or something? Well, the one thing that's is they made it sound like the the the, the cause of death they're saying is not being able to equalize. So, physical damage caused by water pressure. So, did something else cause him to lose consciousness? And that's just the only physical things they were able to see. Uh, I would, from what I've read on middle ear trauma and you ruptured your, your ear, I've heard that will cause dizziness and, and nausea, things like this, but I'm not quite sure about unconsciousness. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess one thing, if you, if you lost your balance on your inner ear, uh, you could actually go down when you think you're going up. That's why I was curious about it. If you had a BC and I had that kind of trauma, I'd be inflating and breathing out as I came up to the surface. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, because once you get positive buoyancy, you'll float up. Well, you figure what fifteen feet is. You hit fifteen feet, you need to be equalizing already. Yes. So I mean, by then you got a breath. You can hit that inflate, exhale, and pop. I don't know. It's I hate that because you're talking older guys. You know, it's nice to know why they did that, not what could have been. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to know what happened, but it just goes to show that, you know, we can never take our eyes off safety. You know, 2,000 dives, and it can happen. Dan and Dima this week issued a press release. Now, they, they send these to me, but I, I always, for some reason, prefer to, to link to uh, another website, maybe just to give them the traffic. But uh, Dan and Dima partnered to launch a public safety announcement to increase First age knowledge for divers interacting with lionfish. Uh, Dima and Dan are collaborating on a PSA aimed at providing effective basic first aid instructions for lionfish-related injuries. The PSA responds to an increasing number of reported injuries which have been attributed to species alarming 
population increase and invasion in the non-native waters. The 32nd PSA provides divers with fundamental knowledge on how to immediately and effectively treat an injury sustained due to lionfish encounter. The PSA is available on the Be a Diver YouTube channel, and viewers are encouraged to share it with others. others. The PSA is already being used on the Cayman Island television. With a lionfish population growing at an alarming rate, encounters are far more frequent than we have seen in the recent past. An imperative the divers equip themselves with proper first aid knowledge, explained Tong Ingram, executive director for DEMA. By creating a campaign with our partners at DAN, we hope to empower divers to be with knowledge necessary to quickly and prov- properly handle encounters with venomous lionfish. Now, what they, what they didn't say is uh, whether this is going to be a new uh, certification. <laughs> I don't imagine it be a new certification. I did see the same one written a little different from DAN, mm-hmm. and I did forward that down to uh, Dave Faulkner, one of our muddies down there in Florida now, because they have seen them down there. So that's probably timely information. So he said he's seen some down there? I do believe they were talking about that. Uh, I'm trying to remember when, but I thought they had been. Well, he's been getting a lot more diving down there. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah. He he had a bunch of photos this last week. He he was saying a bunch of sharks, but he didn't show any sharks in the photos. But they get some distance way out there, don't they? Was he like 15 miles or something? Yeah, he was taking his own little boat out there. I kind of wanted two boats myself. Yeah, at that that distance, but yeah, well, that and plenty of water and a rescue kit because you always hear about these guys been out there for three months after they get into a, a jet stream in the water or something and run out of gas and you're looking for them for three months. Wow, three months! So you, you not only need your water, you also need a fishing pole. And, yeah, and a bunch of other stuff, a lot of suntan lotion. Okay. If I even get this next article up, I might we might have to skip it. You're going for the tires? No, I, I was actually going for the golf balls. Golf balls. Golf we balls. we know that it's not an official dive if you don't get golf balls. That's true. I will skip golf balls for now. I don't know if I can get that one to come up. Can you? Nope, mine won't. Come. Well, it's just waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah. So uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll save that one for later. But uh, so we'll we'll go on the tires. This one's out of Miami. What's that? When I got out of that, it dropped my whole screen. It's like, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. It came up now. It dropped out and then it came back. Maybe I'll have a refresh on that. They talked about this guy, Marco, is one of 40 licensed divers for Distribution Golf FPC, which recovers as many as 8 million golf balls annually. And that's Montreal. That's amazing. Isn't it? It's hard to believe that just one location. When you look through the article, they 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 talk about the old days of uh, golf ball recovery. Well, they were talking about this thing here is um, Distribution Golf is located in Montreal. It's the largest golf ball recovery and recycling company in Canada, putting more than 15 million balls back in play every year, and it has contracts with 150 courses in Quebec and Ontario. All right, now that makes sense. I mean, 150 courses, that's a lot of golf balls. A lot of diving. Oh, but. wow, yeah. In Quebec, they said they have contracts with Walmart Canada and Golf Town, and that's who resell them as recycled balls. Yeah. And it's re- it's good because it's recyclable because the guys are going to lose them again. It's like, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get money. It's like it's like somebody paying you to go in after it. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they were saying that they were recycling 100% of the golf balls 
the uh, they were taken and throwing. You know, the the lowest graded golf balls will go in a big bag, and they end up was it thirty three cents a piece? I'm not sure. I was just looking. They were talking that uh, their comment was, "We don't refurbish balls as some companies in the United States do, where they remove the cover, put on a new one, print it, give them a clear surface coat, and then sell them." So it sounds like they take them back, take the real bad ones, and sell them for for junk stuff, like the bags of five hundred for fifty balls or fifty bucks. But they sound like they had their business down. That's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah, they've got it organized. They t- they talked about talk about in the old days. Uh, everybody used to try and poach the courses in the middle of the night to get the yep. best the best ones. But now that everything's under contract, they said that uh, things are a little bit more organized. Now I'm looking for that's a nice article there because they were actually talking money. They talked about when uh, there was a time when the fee the company paid in exchange for access to the ponds was a thousand perfect ball for free. And they said now the recycled ones are sold back to the clubs for as little as 22 cents each, a good price because courses can resell them for a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so he makes about 30 cents a ball, and he's happy about that. Now, is anybody in the area diving golf courses? There are a couple. Uh, I've seen them at Wolf's and talked to them. They have contracts. Right. Okay. And I told you that last year I had a, a guy contract me. contact me. Uh, he has a machine that they put into a pond and they tow it across the pond and it picks up the balls. Yeah. Like with a bunch of discs on it. Um, I'm not exactly sure. A bunch of, like a bunch of discs and the balls get caught between the yeah, discs. They, 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 I've seen that for mowing down the lawn, but it seems like you could do something similar for in the ponds. Well, they had done that, but what happened at this particular instance and why they were calling me was it sort of disappeared. Oh, <laughs> and the guy went down to find out where it disappeared, and it was only like a twenty-foot pond. And when he hit thirty foot, and the chain still went down through the mud, he decided it was probably past his comfort level. Oh wow! And he, and he called me to say, "Would you be interested in coming out trying to recover that?" And we got to talking, and it didn't sound like a fun job to me. <laughs> well, that sounds like one where you're going to need you need some backup. You don't need to be going in. You need backup. You need pontoons, and he, and to get the equipment, you're going to need to get that back out of a hole that's 30 feet deep now, at least, was going to probably tear up your golf yard a little bit, your lawn. What I'm wondering is if maybe they had an old uh, drainage outpour or something, you know, some tile that was going from one pond to another yeah. that they forgot about that just when it got over it, it got sucked and pulled in. Interesting. Did yeah. you read the rest of the item? They were talking about the veteran golf, the guy who's been doing this, who once pulled 15,000 balls from the famous number 17 Island Green yeah. in Sawgrass in Ponte Verde Beach, Florida. The part I don't like is, well, I sort of like, he has survived three bites from venomous water snakes, attacked by an alligator that left his, last, his left arm scarred. Uh, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff down here. He yeah, found two contempt sets of pink clubs, two BMWs, two Cadillacs, lots of guns, and the body of a dead woman in another car. And this is on a golf course? <laughs> Hopefully it's not just one one water trap. He said the risks aren't that great. Yeah. Uh, the hazards aren't we're in aren't deeper than five to seven feet, but it's stinky, dirty, and somebody has to do it. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a muddy tough job. Yeah. That's why I was asking if somebody was doing it in the area because – you know, I wouldn't want to do it like weekly and be sitting in there and grabbing up a hundred balls. But you know, if somebody had a course that hadn't been done in ten years and you knew you could go and get some easy pickings, that that might be worth it. Yeah. 
Well, from uh, golf balls to tires, we have diving for tires off South Florida coast. And uh, Haynes Bent, uh, this artist, he's not a scuba diver, even a good swimmer. Uh, but for some reason, he just can't seem to stay out of the ocean. A 31-year-old artist risked his life several times trying to pull old tires out of the ocean. Uh, the uh, reporter had asked him, are you a strong swimmer? And he said, actually, no. On his last jump, he had to be saved by a rescue diver. Uh, yeah, I give that some thought. Yeah. yeah. If you're not a swimmer and you're not a scuba diver and you're going in. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to risk my life for freaking old tires. Yeah. Well, and then I'm thinking if you're not diving scuba and you're not snorkeling and you're just like, I mean, how can you, I mean, they're mentioning that some of these were, were 70 feet down. So he had to yeah, be going. Yeah, that. Yeah, he must have been going shallower. I can't believe he was going 70 feet down. Unless he had other people who were divers and he was just helping them. Uh, he's, he, but he, what he was trying to do is he's trying to draw attention that in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, there was a study where they discovered the uh, tires had, had were able to grow coral. So what they did is they bundled and sank them. And we and we talked, we did an article on this. Uh, yeah, probably, not too long ago. Yeah, not too long ago. And what eventually happened is that in no time, the saltwater corroded the the chains and cables that were holding the mats together and storms just blew everything all over. So there's millions of tires just floating around the reef. And they say now uh, they're actually damaging the coral because they just don't stay put. They're all over the reef. The tires are making a big nest mess now, he said. I've spoken to a lot of people in South Florida. Half of them knew about it, mainly older people, but the younger generation didn't know anything. Uh, we have teams of two people bundling tires. And this artist is from Germany. He took upon himself to clean up the mess the best way he knows through art. On Friday morning, two dozen volunteers gathered to dig up the old tires. Uh, he, he was planning on it with two dives. He was hoping he'd get 300 tires, he said. Well, you know, I was looking at this. They were talking about the tire cemetery is 30 football fields wide and 1.5 to 2 million. Now, count that out to how many we're going to get in your lifetime. Yeah. Well, he was he just wanted to do get enough so he could do his art display. Oh, but, okay. Ulterior motive. Yeah, because uh, I think if we remember the other article, it was uh, there was a military, wasn't it a military group who was doing training and pulling the tires out? Well, that's right. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to figure that's going to take a long time. You, you know, when they discovered that they were able to get rid of them and that was going to be a good idea, they were excited. Yeah, we'll finally have a way of getting rid of these tires. But like, I mean, we've learned that tires, even in landfills, they just through motion work their way to the surface. You know, where he said with two dives, I was hoping we can get about 300 tires. You know, that's really humping, uh, I mean, 300 tires and two dives, and you're talking 70 feet yeah, or even 60. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that in two dives. I don't think I can do 300. No, no. And, and I think what they what got them a little bit of false sense of security is that they, they noted that the tires underwater are only about three pounds. Yeah. So three pounds of lift will can float a tire. So I'm sure they were thinking they'd get them, but they're they're awkward. And then once you get them to the surface, you have to get them out of the water where they're like 25 pounds. Right. Well, like the ecology dive, remember we always gave more points for tires. Yeah. Bicycle tires were so many points. If you had a car tire and a tractor tire, that's different because, like you said, they're heavier than a son of a gun, and getting them out of the water is a chore. Yeah. Yeah. We need we need to do another have another ecology dive like that. We need to find somebody to sponsor one. I would definitely like to. Somebody would sponsor it, give us a year's notice. We could do a damn good one. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to work on that. 
find well, find a find a good sponsoring organization, a good spot, and we'll do a nice uh, scuba cleanup. So they uh, looks like they opened the exhibit, and if you go to the to the website uh, that we we threw in the show notes, you can watch the video. They have a video showing the exhibit. Um, I didn't get a chance to really watch the video, but the frame they're on, I'm not thinking that's much of an art, <laughs> if that if that's what it is. It's in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, I guess so. Oh, and, and I have these out of out of order. This one I wanted to do after the Dan story. This one was just so bizarre. There's another uh, fatality, and I just hate to talk about fatalities in the show, but there's just something that didn't, I mean, not that any fatality makes sense, but some of them are understandable. This one is uh, yeah. Odisha, officer dies during scuba diving training. Uh, this one is out of India. Uh, on Thursday, he drowned during a scuba diving training in a river uh, Katak, the official said. Assistant fire uh, officer uh, was one of 10 people in the training organized by a department near Banki, about 70 kilometers away. The training was supervised by a Swedish expert. They went into shallow water with all their diving equipment. Mohanty did not come out of the water. Uh, they were only in five feet of water, and he didn't know why he couldn't come out. He was pulled out and uh, taken to the hospital. He was pronounced dead. A lot of unknowns there. There is. There's not a lot of details. Uh, the only thing I can think of is maybe he wasn't a diver. You know, could this just be an unfortunate training accident where, because, I mean, they're in six feet. I mean, yeah, I, I know you can drown in, in any depth, but there's just something that didn't didn't make sense at that. Well, and that's true. Uh, it makes you wonder, instead of a swimming pool, were they using the river? Yeah. I mean, we take it for advantage. Uh, Granted that we've got nice locations here with, with pools and, and different ways to do training. Maybe this is the only place they would would have had to start training in. Because it doesn't wow. seem like you know a trained safety diver in six feet of water would have run into this type of problem. Here's one on the Kitty Wake. So this this one's from the CNN. Uh, they're talking about how great the Kitty Wake diving is. Uh, they said it is definitely one of the top ten perfect purposely sunk wrecks because of its accessibility uh, and it's a relatively shallow water and it's upright. The Kitty Wake was sunk just over a year ago off Grand Cayman. After a short five-minute boat ride, uh, you you can get to the site. The vessel's bottom sits about 60 feet down on the sandy floor. Uh, it's 100, 200, The wreck's 251 feet long and it's considered a fairly easy dive. So they just rub it in. Love, uh, absolutely love to go diving on that one. Yeah, the picture looks nice. And then we go from that to uh, uh, something that I have to agree with. This was uh, a diver, and I think the the article's out of Toronto, so I don't know if they're pushing for it. But the uh, uh, the what they're the this diver is saying, and I completely agree, is that he's pitching for that the Costa Concordia, the Italian cruise liner, they said should be sunk. Every night I lit a candle and said, uh, say a prayer for it to sink. He says a 290-meter-long ship with towering smokestacks. Most of the island, uh, island's residents, which are about 1,500 in number, uh, want it to be hauled away as soon as possible. But, uh, oh, this in, the individual they're talking about the article is actually an underwater guide and owner of deep blue 
Diving College. He knows the fascination with shipwrecks have for scuba divers. He says it would be the most popular shipwreck in the world. I wouldn't know what to do with all the divers. It'd be like manna from heaven. <laughs> I keep thinking of how many lost divers you're going to have in those cabins. Oh, yeah, because it's not been opened up. Yeah, but he's right for him. That would be a bunch of money. But, you know, it's, it's you know, we just all got to dive within our limits. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, not everybody does. Nope. But isn't that part of how Darwinism works? It should be, but uh, certain governments like to protect you from yourself. Or try to. They're, plan- they're saying the salvage of the shipwreck is uh, going to take $300 million. Uh, and they, they say it's going to take at least a year. Nothing like this has ever been done before. They're, they're, they're rating the salvage effort is difficult to complex. How deep is it off that little clip that the boat is on? Do you know, the ledge? I think the ledge was at, uh, was it 150 feet? Do you remember, Jim? I don't think it was that deep. But the ledge is a deeper water. I don't remember what they said deeper water was. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Maybe that was what the next area was that would have slid into. Yeah, because you... Cause you it's obviously not deep where it's at right now. Yeah, so you can see half of it. Yeah. He, he's arguing that taxi di- taxiing divers to visit the wreck would make the island's municipal government the richest in Italy, and its presence would underpin the economic future off the island. He says he only has one prayer left, and that's a big storm. <laughs> so so he's praying for a storm to go and... and well, I'm looking at that picture, and that is a huge freaking boat. That's what, almost 1,000 feet. Oh, yeah. Those, those, things are, those things are monsters. I've never been on one, but yeah, that, that was not an, exactly a small one either. What was the cost of the boat? Does anybody remember? Oh, I, I, I can't remember now. A gazillion. Uh, a gazillion. That sounds right. <laughs> I go for a gazillion. Yeah, yeah. Might as well be for what I can afford. Yeah. Well, I, I could I could handle half a gazillion, but the full gazillion would be a little much. I could now, afford you mean a first. Like you're going to give to me, and I can handle it. I could do that. I so couldn't afford a first class cabin. <laughs> no, I, I think I would be in steerage. I'd be the guy down there shoveling coal. <laughs> Well, that does it for most of the news. We do have uh, something I thought was an interesting photo. Uh, the rare calico lobster was caught off Maine shores. Uh, the photo is provided by the New England Aquarium in Boston. It shows a rare calico lobster. They're saying that its occurrence is could be, and I like it when they say could be, one in 30 million. That's a many mule or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, was it looks caught- more like camouflage, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't, it seems like that would make sense to me. I mean, if I, you know, I if I saw a lobster like that, I wouldn't have thought anything was odd. Other than he looked sick more than you know, if it's not the normal solid color. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking at one point in lobsters' lives, that's probably what the bottom looked like, and that's why that color pattern exists. And it must be whatever now the red ones survive better. So, um, so he, he's being held. He's being held captive at the New England Aquarium. Somebody will have him for dinner. I, I would <laughs> hope so. I'll fatten him up first. What was that item about the environmental history on Rachel Sussman? Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, We can go back to that one. I, it won't come up for me. It won't come up it for you? It didn't come up for me. That's why I said Oh. No, it's locked up my screen. 
Let me see if I can get to come up. The problem with some of these is that I I, I find the articles on my phone. So, uh, oh, I got it to come up for me. Uh, well, what's good for you? I'm special. <laughs> oh, but it actually, it, it looked like yes. it might have locked up my my computer too, though. Yeah, just did. I dumped it. In well, then I'll go back and take a look at it. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> it says the page is not responding. Here, let me let me go put the uh, the page bomb into the chat room and have everybody try it. See if we can all. Yeah, everybody, go. <laughs> everybody go click on the site. We'll all have the same virus. <laughs> <laughs> click on that page. Uh, is, is, is it like uh, a computer virus is like regular diseases? They name them after who discovers them? I don't think so, but you click on that page and you'll be getting email messages for the next three years about pills that will help you uh, Satisfy. improve your size. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what the article was, Mac, and it was very interesting, it's from the Mother Nature Network. Uh, Russell S- Rachel Sussman uh, has been on a quest, a 37-year-old artist, to take pictures of the oldest living things in the world. So she is taking portraits of 30 organisms from every continent, all of which are at least 2,000 years old. And there's one organism she has. What's that? said, Mac almost qualifies. (laughs) Yeah. I resemble that remark. Yeah. So uh, she had one that was uh, over 600,000 years old. And that one was uh, from the Antarctica. Uh, But, you know, some of them, like trees, there were trees in the United States that were, I think she she had 18,000 years old. So it was an interesting article. So I, 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 I... Marked it more for myself than for uh, to have on the show, but she did, and and the course of her uh, quest to find these old items did have to learn how to scuba dive, which is how she uh, came through with uh, through on my list. And this last one I put in the category potentially cool scuba gear. Now that sounds interesting. So uh, the title says ingenious jerk attaches train horn to bike becomes envy of us all. <laughs> So Yannick Reed, who uh, also is known as the creator of the Bond bike, is a bicycle insurance company owner by day and an evil bike designer by night. He he made uh, his latest creation called the Hornster, packs an air-powered train horn in the front of a two-wheeled bike powered by a scuba tank with compressed air. The horn is capable of letting loose a 178-decibel blast. He could do this thanks to heavily modified frame Reed has built to support the apparatus as well as a triple-horned air chime KH-3A, which was taken from the train. <laughs> well, I see he's got that tank mounted really awkwardly, and I notice he does have hearing protection. <laughs> he said uh, it's, it, the, the bike's for sale. The cost is pegged at about $8,000. I think it'd be cheaper just to buy a horn and make one yourself. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing was that, is that when I was in high school, I talked about doing the same thing on one of my cars. I had one of those extremely nimble salmon pink Ford Pinto wagons, and I wanted to take the whole back, and my grandfather actually had an, a horn off a, a steam freighter that he used to have in his shop. And I had played around with the idea of throwing that back of the back of the car. Congratulations. Well, what did you win, Mac? I didn't. There's a, <laughs> I went to the second article under that article, which has a different picture of the horns, uh-huh. and there's a pop-up on it that won't go away. And if you click on it to get rid of it, so I'm just ignoring it for now, just looking at this. I can't see where the money he wants for it comes from. No, I just think it's because he's somewhat known. And Wow. Did you see that part? An F-14 jet fighter, in comparison, is 130 dB, 
<laughs> but a visioning roar of a Concorde landing is a mere 119. Well, you, so you think about it. probably rattle your teeth. Oh, oh, that would definitely. But the, the thing with the air horn is it's it's going to be directed, and and that's and that's really, I, I mean, that's literally the air horn they have on trains. So, I just love the fact that he's using a scuba tank for it. Yeah. Oh, uh, what, what's the after, he, I was going to say he said he designed the horn sir after repeatedly getting cut up. That's what he had cut up by Carr and Lori. Interesting. So, so what's Dave in the chat room <laughs> screaming at me about that I'm ignoring? Faulkner's here. Who? He that can't be him. Guest five is Dave. That's what he says. He I, I, says I, he's he says he's Dave. D- Dave's uh, that guy. Wait. Dave's that guy who who swims in the warm, clear water. That can't be the same. Yeah, I know. Same guy that we know. That's, that's what I was saying. I put I put a note, in the, you know, and said I knew a guy by that name once, but he bailed out of us <laughs> around here and started diving on the dark side in South Florida. Yeah. Yeah, he it can't he, be the same guy. Yeah, he posted some photos uh, last week. Did you ever find any any sharks, Dave? Not Dave. Uh, yeah, Dave. Dave. Why am I? We got multiple Daves. <laughs> That's dangerous. That is. I heard that same Dave friend of ours that go spearfishing last week the first time. Yeah, that, that's that's really the that Dave. You went spearfishing? Yeah. Did you see the picture I sent back of what it looked like afterwards? No. No. That's Were they chumming? Send it to you. <laughs> Lots of blood in the water, drawing sharks. Oh, I go look for it. Yeah, actually. So you're you're really not not doing anything exciting until like you you stab your leg and so you bleed. That's now that's the way to chump. Hey, David, uh, d- uh, send us your uh, Skype. That's how you can talk to us. He's, he wants to know how to chat with us, how he how he could get on the air. Just uh, send a Skype invite, and we could we could conference Bull you in. sharks. So yeah, we, we we'd have you on to talk about the, the diving you did. Okay, well that does it for scuba in the news. Now we're to the part of the show we get to talk about last week's dive. So before I get on to what I dove last week, did well, Mac, you were flying, weren't you? Last week, no, last week was jumping week. Jumping. So you were jumping. But I think you also got a dive in, didn't you, Mac? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't let a little thing like. Oh, okay. Weekends bother you. <laughs> so, so where'd you get a dive in at? Oh, I back to my normal standard, back to Papa. Papa. Yeah. So how was it? Well, did the fire lane. Uh, water's warming up, probably 55 degrees now. Uh, the weed growth is getting dense in the shallows until you hit that 10 foot on the incline. Uh, the visibility. Uh, they just poisoned the lake a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Uh, and I haven't seen any evidence of that though. But it normally turns the, the water brown. I probably had three to four foot visibility. That's probably the best. But I did find a lot of new live clams, which was very pleasing. Uh, I bumped up against a very large carp, scared the hell out of me. Uh, a lot of smaller fish, some treasures I left for you guys since they weren't really nice. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the sun was out. It was a great day to dive. And there's two gals out there swimming without swimming. the wetsuit. It's like, excuse me? What, I got what? my suit on. I'm just comfortable. And those two gals are out there swimming. I said, how long have you guys been coming out here swimming? Well, this is our fifth trip this month, so I can't believe People can get out there in that damn water without a wetsuit. Well, it's all mind over matter. If you can tolerate it, you can do it. Yeah, well, shrinkage is not the only problem I'd have there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what was the temperature? You said uh, about 55? I would estimate 55 because with a wetsuit, it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, only one hood, not the double. 
Uh, I did not need my three finger mitts. Five fingers would have been fine. Uh, the thermoclines at 16 feet, go below the thermocline, you need the other stuff back on. No, I hit the river battery and was only doing six feet in the river, but uh, I dove it dry with no thermals, and I was comfortable for about a 45-minute dive. Now, what part of the river were you in? Uh, right by the Junior Foundation, there by the Yacht Club. I was first time I'd used an underwater drill to drill a hole in an I-beam and put some bolts through it. I was helping do a repair on a boat lift. Oh, okay. It was pneumatic. Yep. That's, Did you ever get that welding done you were looking at? Uh, no, I'm trying to get in touch with the instructor to see if he'd uh, send a student over or if he had a student that might be interested in doing it. Right. Did you already find that for yet or not? Uh, yeah, I sent him an email at school and left oh, a message okay. for him at the school. Okay. I was trying to think of that. the one guy that works down at Wolf's also was in that class. He's now out of that class and doing other stuff. He might another contender. I I was actually able to get a dive in this last week. Uh, let's see, was it Saturday or Sunday? Kind of the days all blur together. I was. I think that had to be what was that? May fifth. May fifth. What was May fifth? May fifth. Right. Saturday on the Rockaway. Yeah, Saturday. So yeah, I I went out with Bob and Kurt. We uh, it was the Blossom Time weekend in in St. Joe. So it's always good to avoid downtown area on that weekend so we we actually went out of south haven a nice nice beautiful day warm sunny for the most part uh we did get a little bit of rain as we got out it, the waves were it was calling for less than one but i would call them one and a half and then the wind picked up and we got to two but we went out uh you know bob as always there was no buoy up on the rockway yet because uh well because i think sunday was when uh wolf was planning on going out and putting up the the buoy so, but Bob had some good GPS numbers. Dropped the anchor right on it. We went down. He's and good at that. He, he he's been very good at that. I think in the last two and a half years, there's only been uh, two wrecks where he didn't nail them right in the center. But he, but he was within thirty feet. I mean, the tough thing depends on, especially the first couple dives of the year. The GPS sometimes loses its memory, and you got to put in all your coordinates again. But uh, he's got some good numbers, and he drops right on those on the wreck. You know, in fact, that's one of the tasks we have to do when we go down is actually move the anchor so you can get out. So he had he had it dropped in one side of the, oh, what we call it, the, the center box. But we went down. Visibility was actually pretty good. At the surface, it was looking pretty poor. You know, you had maybe four or five feet of uh, vis as you were going down, and vertical, you know, vertical vis was terrible. But when you got, oh, right at the bottom, there was no thermocline that I could really sense. Uh, surface temperature was about 54 and then at depth at uh 70 feet was about oh i'd have to say uh 48 maybe uh but uh it was a we were calling it a solid 8 to 10 feet but if you had the super ultra bright light that bob has uh you saw quite a bit farther both bob and kurt had their new dive lights yep the suns the suns yeah yeah, they they amazing, awesome dive lights. I just there's so much coming out with these LEDs on these dive lights. It's making all the old HIDs and other lights just pale in comparison. I had my little you know eight C cell dive light, and uh, you know it's enough for you. You didn't even need a dive light actually, but it, it's nice having one. You can see under stuff, and but uh, I like diving the Rockaway. 
You know, I have to say that's that's a good wreck. That's a wreck I wouldn't be afraid to bring somebody who from the tropical locations. If you haven't dove on a Lake Michigan wooden shipwreck, that's a good one. It's it is a rubble wreck, but there's it looks enough like a wreck that you can visualize it. Plus, it's laid open. It's almost like a uh, an exploded diagram of a, of a part or a ship. Everything's laid open, splayed open, so you can see what it is. And and every time I dive on these wrecks, I see new things. And and I always wondered, was that always there? Did that I, you know, how did I miss that? Uh, in fact, like on one side of the wreck, I don't know if you've seen it on the Rockaway, but they have uh, it looks like little eyelets every two or three feet down one side. And I don't remember seeing that before. How were the quagamussel infestations on it? It was odd because. It's covered like it always is normally. There were no freshly exposed boards, so the sand hasn't moved and exposed anything new. But it didn't seem that the quaggas were filter feeding. In fact, we were questioning if they were even alive. I mean, there were there were some that looked alive, but it just a lot of dead on the ground on you know, on the bottom. So I don't know if maybe there's a die-off starting or not. It'd be uh, I'd love to to see if that's a new trend or not. Uh, the trend on that is is uh, sort of a die out. The population density this is this is current information was 100,000 quaggas per square meter in our area, and that has maxed out. And now it's falling down. They expect it to go down to 20,000 per square meter as opposed to 100,000. That may be evidence of what you're seeing. Yeah, because I, I, what could be is the older, more mature are dying off, maybe they need more, or, or I, I don't know, know what the, what's the lifespan of a quagga. You know, maybe it's a natural thing, but it just did, it, they didn't seem to be as active as they have been in the past. So they're still on everything, but a little different. But an excellent dive, you know, ha, had a blast, uh, got, got a little bit of rain, it rained a little bit, but uh, overall a, a very successful dive. It sounds like a nice one. Yeah, yeah. If you if you like Lake Michigan diving, that's you can't beat this. So that was the first one of the year, and then on Saturday we're going to go out, and it looks like just Kurt, Bob, and myself once again, and we're going to dive Max Wreck. Oh, side side note. Yep. Lifespan of a quagga is up to five years. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And one more trivia item. Last week when you guys were diving that wreck, uh huh, you had an inversion there that it was colder on the surface than at the bottom at 55 feet. You said you didn't feel the thermocline, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I it was like 48 at the that bottom and 54 why. at the top. What's that? Okay. Today's the temperature on the surface is 57 degrees. On the bottom, it's 50 degrees. Using the sensor off a of cook plant, uh-huh. the GM I think sent the coordinates out to everybody. Yeah. The baby's working again. It's really nice. Yeah, I, I was looking at that when uh, right after Jim sent the link out, and it, and I it, it was weird numbers. Uh, I don't know if the, if all if everything was reporting. It looked like it had the same temperature from the top to the bottom, and then some of them weren't yeah, plotting. Yeah, last week, and it looked to me like you had an inversion because there was no thermocline. Whereas today, you can see a, a graduated, consistent dropping the temperature the deeper you go. Mm-hmm. I'm sure glad to see that buoy out. I'm glad you mentioned it because I hadn't looked at it for a while. Yeah, yeah, and then also if people want to know what we're talking about, you can click to that on the Scuba Obsessed website. We have Scuba Obsessed. And then we have a link at the top that says dive forecast. Now, currently, that's only for uh, us in Great Lakes. But if you're in a location and you want us to do some research, I can add your location to the dive forecast and you'll have one place to go. It's It's been handy because I can I always know how to get to my website <laughs> and we get to there. But we've got that buoy. 
Is it the same link this year, Jim? Yeah, forty five oh two six is the buoy number. Four five oh two six, yeah. Yep. So you can a, you can get it from the National Data Buoy Center, but that doesn't give you the lower or the underwater temps. Yeah. But if you go to the post I just put on the, the page in the chat room, uh that shows you all of the underwater thermistors and that's the one that we used a lot last year when diving the max wreck. You know, because as soon as it turned over, we knew we were going to lose visibility, and we did. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping that uh, by looking at what the numbers we're getting now, uh, 57, 58 at the top, and 50 at the bottom, that max wreck should be nice. It's always it, nice. It, yeah. <laughs> well, the wreck may be, but we might not be able to see it. <laughs> so, Darren, you're going on Jim, that? what were you going to say? I'm sorry, say again? Not Darren, you're going on the Max Rec on Saturday? Yeah, on Saturday I'm going to go out. Uh, Bob's taking his boat out. So Bob, Kirk, Take and pictures. I are... Take pictures. Take pictures. Well, let me, yeah, he, let, me, Bob... uh, let me hook up with you tomorrow. Uh-huh. And I'll pick up your tank and I'll give you a uh, camera to use. Oh, okay. Use that, my uh, GoPro. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I'd so love to use that. shoot some video for it. Yeah, that'd okay. be good. Well, also I'd love to get that video because... Uh, I've got some software where I can do uh, 3D plots. So what we'll maybe we can end up with is actually a 3D mapping of the wreck site. That would be neat. Yeah, I, I've I've got uh, a, a company where I can upload the uh, the the frames, and they actually use a uh, a supercomputer to render it all together. And they're in beta right now, so they're looking for shots to to test out the software. So well, if you do a swim around with the camera running the whole time. That's exactly uh, they should thinking. be able to to capture it because it would be your timing is going to be a constant, so they should be able to piece it all together. Yeah. Well, what all they need is uh, anywhere from eight to fifty frames per objects at different locations. So what I'm I'm thinking I can do is is take the video and then break apart the separate frames and take the the most representative, and then uh, run them through, and it should. It actually creates a CAD uh, uh, wireframe for it. Mm-hmm. So if it works, <laughs> I haven't tried it. I I saw uh, one of the guys who does. Uh, there's a website out there that's doing the Open ROV project. I don't know if you've been following that at all. No. And what what it is is a group of of people who are taking these MakerBots, which are some of these 3D printers. And they decided that from these MakerBots, they wanted to make an ROV that anybody could draw up the plans and build from 3D printing. So that they're kind of coming up with a design. And uh, and, and actually, it looks like there's been a lot of activity going on this year. I need to go back to the website. But it, it, that's where, what, what the link went to is he, he had actually taken the camera off the front of the ROV and was uh, isolating frames and doing 3D mapping. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so... Technology is marching along, and it's going to be a benefit to us if we can take advantage of it. So, Mac, you got any dives planned this for this weekend? Uh, mostly, like I was telling Jim, I got two birthdays and Mother's Day, so I think I'm going to be occupied. Yeah. But I will try to get out during the week next week. Yeah. So I'll be able to hit this weekend. Go ahead. So yeah. we're, we're going to try to get the fish out and do some balancing on that to see how it's going to tow. Oh, and cool. then we'll get on the big lake and find out how it's going to work. So I'm going to be able to get in a, a dive this weekend, but probably the following weekend I'm going to be dry. 
got uh, travel out of town. Is it a dry town. suit? You're finally getting no, a dry suit? No, the air it's hallucinating. A I, I tell you, we are so glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm so sorry for you all winter long, diving wet. No, no, I, th- I think you're hallucinating. Actually, I, I'm... I, I, keep, I keep trying. You know, I, I know. Trying. I'm looking forward to the day. When you get it, I'm going to celebrate. <laughs> I think everybody's going to celebrate, especially yep. me. Yep. I am so ready I for it. Are you going back to the river? Cooper River, yeah, I've, uh, I'm going to go on the trip with that. I, I was going to pitch it on the show, but it sold out before between episodes. So from the time it opened to the time we had our next show, it had already sold out. So, yeah, the, if you missed out on uh, Rich Sinowicz uh, from Divers Sync and Divers Incorporated and White Star, if you uh, didn't get a chance to book that Cooper River trip, it sold out. So the October Cooper River trip is hot. Uh, Dave's going to be going. Bill's going to be going. Sounds like a repeat from last year. Rich, uh, pretty close, and then they've got, uh, but the, so it's a full boat at this point. So yeah, I'm 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 excited, but that's uh, out in October. Yeah. And then Dima is in November. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. I was kind of seeing if my wife wanted to go, but she was kind of giving me a little grief on that. I'll have to figure out. Maybe we need need some big sponsors that can pay for us to go out there. <laughs> that or the lottery. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm trying to decide. Do I go? The water's getting warm now. Now I'm like now I'm kind of like yeah, dry suit. So uh, you know, really, what I need is my is my 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 wet suit's starting to fall apart, and my BC is starting to disintegrate. And I know it's not turning to dust because I've been di- uh, diving enough. So I think I'm just wearing it out. So I may have to do an emergency purchase of a back plate and a wing just to be able to keep diving over the summer. Well, just borrow gems. Is he getting out a lot, or is he going to try to get out more this year? He says he's going to. I need to harass him about this weekend. I know he won't go Sunday, but maybe I can get him to go Saturday with us. I can't believe the sun is 18 already. You and me both, because I... Birthday's today, just like my daughter's. Yeah. Oh, your daughter's birthday's the same one, too? Yeah. Huh. That's amazing. So it's like I know about five people born on that same day. I got other friends, their daughter's born on that day. She just turned 14. Uh, well, both of them could have been my daughter's kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Josh is 18, and geez, you know, I was scary. I was friends with his parents long before they had him. So yeah, time just flies away. I mean, we, we, yeah, we you know, you yeah. BC, right? Pardon me. You knew him at BC, right? Jim. Yeah, you knew him. BC means before children. Oh yeah, okay. No, I, I was thinking you're talking about Washington D.C. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know from there. No, BC, of course. Yeah, yeah, we knew him before children. So, yeah, yeah, it's time's clicking away. So, what better use to go out there and get diving than knowing that time's moving? Yeah. If if you don't dive now, when you gonna dive? Come yep. on, guys. Yeah. If you haven't figured it out, if you haven't learned, if we haven't scared you off by yet, and you're listening to the program. You need to go get your certification. Get out there, get to experience, and then come to Michigan. We'll we'll be able to set you up on some wrecks. And don't forget, we're trying to get more guys who want to jump. Jim thinks he's uh, thinking about doing a jump this year. Maybe we can get more muddy yeah. to go airborne. Yeah, yeah if you can find a plane that can lift frog. me, I'll go. The flying frog. <laughs> yeah, my my wife says I'm nuts, but at one point in time she talked about wanting to to, to jump, but I think she's has since talked herself out of it. It seems like just yesterday she's talked about that, but that had to have been 15 years ago, too. <laughs> uh, about the only other good things that happened, uh, thanks to the support of Jim and Ken and others, I had the equipment necessary to do that last presentation at the uh, library. How'd it go? 
Uh, we didn't have a big crowd. I was sort of disappointed in that. But the people we did have were very uh, interested. Uh, a lot of good sidebar conversations. And it's still um, my firm belief that every freaking pond and lake, inland lake in Michigan, has a Model T in it. <laughs> some, of the, some of the tales were pretty good. I really enjoyed the ones where they were telling me about where the Al Capone cars were. So I'm I know you guys would have enjoyed that part. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm beginning Some to think we've that, already been. No, I, I, with my short-term memory, I think I've already forgot which lake it was, but it <laughs> really sounded good. Mm. Had some coasties in it too, and they were that was interesting. Coast Guard guys. Yep. Yeah. One of which is a diver. Hmm. Well, it was interesting. Can you get? Is, now there's you, some you, good conversation. Talk to talk. them about the. Going back in some of the records, and because uh, I believe Coast Guard supposedly dumped some, well, uh, moved some navigational hazards to an area where they would not be navigational hazards, and allowed them to sink at those locations. Okay. I'd like to yeah. find out where that location is. <laughs> ah. Well, one of the guys that was there, another guy who, who brought his dad, who I was trying to get down because he's a fisherman, but he's inland lakes, found out he knows SAS. They did their training at Gull Lake and at a place I went last year at Fort Custer, saying, mm. did I see the tank in the airplanes? Hmm. Tank in the airplane. Yeah. We need to do some research, figure out where that is. I do know where it is. <laughs> oh, do you? I dove there last year. Well, I know you where the Fort Custer that, is. I, SAS I, Wednesday dives are pretty are a lot of fun if you can find time to go. Yeah. You go to places you haven't been, and that was one of them. I was very pleased with that time. Yeah, I need to just change my schedule, maybe just start taking Wednesdays off or something so I can go and do that. Well, I hope you have a good day on the lake, and it's nice for the for the wreck. And you find out that the sand has shifted everything away, so now everything's exposed, which would be great. Yeah, I, I'm betting it moved at least 10 feet deep all the way around. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> So hey, you got any you got any extra that those pills you're taking? <laughs> it, it, it's made by the pharmacist Captain Morgan. Oh, uh-huh. so that's the energy drink you really need sometimes. Yeah, yeah. After the day yeah they say Red Bull gives you wings, but the uh, <laughs> what does the captain give you? Help you sleep. Yeah, <laughs> we need, they need to sponsor the show. Oh yeah, just looking at that. I'm looking uh, forward to Sheboygan so I can mix my Coca Cola with something. To Sheboygan. Is that uh, your, you, some, that's, somebody I know I won't mention their name has has got me sort of it's a, it's a terrible filthy habit I'm sure that we have to dilute our pop up with this other liquid beverage to make it palatable I think it's more like medicinal something that <laughs> makes sure there's nothing bad in the coke but it does help you sleep later <laughs> yeah again that's what I find as I get older is that <laughs> I gotta base myself or I can be napping by nine <laughs> well it's past my bedtime well, that must mean one thing, then. It's that time. Yep, we're getting to the time for the bad scuba joke of the week. And I'm starting to sense a trend in these jokes. I wonder if the listeners will be able to pick up the, the trend on this one. Let me see if I can get it up to a spot where I can read it. Before I say that, let's uh, remind everybody to go ahead and visit us on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We also love those five-star reviews on iTunes. You can also subscribe while you're there, or hopefully you're already subscribing if you're listening to us. 
The website is www.scubaobsessed.com. Make sure you poke around there, see all the pages we have. We also have the fan map. So go ahead and push your pin into it. It reminds me I need to go in there and make sure I approve anybody who's who's posted. So if you haven't, oh Mac, before before we go, did you see on the Mud Club site the uh, the comment that somebody put in? Uh, is that the one from the the lady? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually corresponded her since then, and I sent her additional pictures, and then she got back to me again. Uh, they've got like five generations of her family who lived there. Yeah, for for, the, for those who don't know what we're talking about, is that on the Mud Club site we had uh, uh, what was what, which lake was it? At Indian Lake, and we had put some pictures of a, a boat that we were on some during its construction phase, uh, and some pictures on the lake itself. Mm-hmm. And those we posted on on one of our our posts. And she had been going through it, found those pictures, and she knew some of the stuff about the pictures. So she was very pleased to see it, and I sent some photos she hadn't seen before. Excellent. Yeah, because uh, from what I understand is that she had family members who used to own the resort that was mentioned in one of the uh, yeah. photos. So excellent. So, yeah, I, yeah, we, we saw that. So, yeah, that was on there. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? I always feel like I'm, I'm missing plugging something. So if you haven't, if you if you like listening to Scuba Diving podcast and you haven't had a chance to uh, listen to the other shows, we recommend that you listen to Diver Sync. Uh, they tend to record on Tuesday nights, but you got to watch their website. They also have a Facebook page. So Rich uh, does an excellent job on that. Make sure you listen to his. And then we've also got Talking Scuba as another one, a video podcast that seems to come out at least once a month. Um, that you need to make sure that you follow. Okay, I, th- I think we've scared everybody off so that everybody who's remaining is the tough and hardy, and they're going to be able to handle the joke. So, as long as Dave's here. As long as Dave's here. Here we go. A plane was taking off from Dayton Airport. After it reached a comfortable cruising ad- altitude, the captain made an announcement over the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to Flight 293, nonstop from Dayton to Cozumel. The weather ahead is good, and therefore we should make a smooth and uneventful flight. Now sit back and relax. Oh, my God! Silence followed, and there's a few minutes the captain came back at the intercom and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to have scared you a little earlier. While I was talking, the flight attendant brought me a cup of coffee and spilled a hot coffee on my lap. You should see the front of my pants. A scuba diver and coach said, That's nothing. You should see the back of mine. Wow, Dave, that's that's a that's a coincidence that they have non-stops from uh, Dayton to Cozumel. Must be great to live in those big cities. So, until next week, go out there and get wet and stay safe, guys. And remember, no lobsters were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Recording has been completed.